I'm Laura Gentry Williams, and you're listening to Adopting It Forward. Adopting It Forward allows people to share their adoption stories in order to encourage you wherever you are in your adoption marathon, from bystander to runner in training to participant. Enjoy today's story. Hey everyone, welcome back to Adopting It Forward. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment to give a big shout out to my hometown team, Baylor Bears in Waco, Texas, for their NCAA championship win. This is such a huge deal. I mean, it hasn't happened in Texas except one time. UTEP, 1966, Glory Road. You've got to watch that movie if you've never seen it. It's so good. But here we are, Baylor Bears, my whole family, tons of people went to Baylor. And, you know, I grew up with it because I grew up in Waco. Speaking of basketball, my guests on the show today know a little bit about Texas basketball. Donnie is the head high school girls coach at Cedar Park High School near Austin. And they just won the state championship a couple weeks ago. He and my friend Carissa are married and have two adopted cutie little girls through the foster care system. So now, please enjoy my conversation with Carissa and Donnie. Well, welcome, Carissa and Donnie. You guys, this is so exciting. I'm so glad to, um, quote, see you on Zoom. (laughs) No kidding. It's been a minute since we've seen each other. Carissa, you and I used to teach together forever ago at our little school with the fifth and sixth graders. And it's been, gosh, I think we said eight years, eight years since we've, I haven't even laid eyes on you. Thank goodness for Facebook, right? No kidding. A little bit, but yeah, just tell us about yourselves. So as you said, I'm Carissa and this is my husband, Donnie Ott. We are both educators. I currently teach adapted PE for students with disabilities in Leander ISD. And, and I'm the head girls basketball coach at Cedar Park High School, and this is our fourth year here in Cedar Park. And you're the reigning state champions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. As of Wednesday, <laughs> March 10th, we captured the Class 5A state championships over Frisco Liberty. What an accomplishment. Oh, my gosh. We're all following that. It's just so exciting. I mean, we're in the middle of March Madness right now. No big deal, right? But Wow. To win a state championship, and we just have to stop right there because what does it feel like? It was it what you expected? You've been looking forward to it for however long. Uh, yeah, so 21 years I've been coaching, and um, you know we I've never been fortunate to be a part of the state tournament, yet alone have the opportunity to play in state finals games. So you know it was very exciting. The town was was uh, really behind us, and for the school district, you know, Leander ISD has six high schools in it, and um, this is the first state championship for any boys or girls basketball team. So, um, really, yeah. So this has been really, uh, yeah, it's been really huge for our community. So uh, we're really excited about. It. We're organizing a, a town parade right now on April second, so to honor the kids and. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been everything that I thought it would be, you know, outside of my wife and two kids, this has been the best feeling I've ever had. So very excited about it. In girls basketball. I mean, it, some people negate girls basketball a little bit and we're like, yeah, you know, it's girls, but it is like full on full. I remember my uncle, when I was a little kid, I was crying, you know, I've always loved sports and I've always loved any sport basically. And I remember crying and saying to my uncle, I, I just really want to play football when I get into middle school. Of course, I'm, you know, not very big, but I play it in the street. So how hard could it be? Right. All the time. I was like, I want to play football when I grow up so bad. And he said, baby, it's okay. You should just play girls basketball. It's almost as physical. (laughs) Definitely is. It's a full contact sport these days. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you're good at taking a charge, I mean, you can have some serious sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is just amazing. I mean, congratulations. Wow. And Carissa, like your pictures of you and the girls all the time. 
so precious. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't quite get there, but we have uh, five and seven-year-old daughters. Our five-year-old is Haven and our seven-year-old is Sienna. And they are in um, Haven's in kindergarten and Sienna's in second grade. How cute. I love those names. They're so pretty. So were those they their are- names originally or... That's what I was going to say. Yes, those were their original, their birth names. We did change Haven's spelling because there was an extra letter in there. So we made it the more traditional spelling. And then we gave them new family middle names. And of course, they took our last name. But we felt like at their ages, they were used to those names and that it was important to keep them. And we loved them. Oh, yeah. They're beautiful. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. So you guys are both in education, love kids. When you first got married, I think, were you, were we teaching the other when, when y'all got married, right? I believe yeah. so. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you first got married, what were your expectations of your family? What, how did you think things might go? Well, at that time I was like, I want four or five kids. I want a big family. And, <laughs> you know, I think naturally anytime you get married, you think you're going to get married and have the kids and things are going to go, go that way. It's just right. Yeah. Go, right? Like the, what people consider the, I guess, quote unquote, normal direction. Do you remember your first conversation about adoption? Yes, because it came after uh, four miscarriages for us and they were all very unique. Literally like I, during one of my pregnancies got the neuroinvasive type of West Nile and like, I almost lost my life. Sorry. I kind of remember a little bit about this. I couldn't remember what it was, but do you remember Leslie, our friend Leslie and I came to visit you in the hospital? Yes. Right. Wasn't that, I don't, I I think you did. I, I don't, I don't remember that at the time, but it was like a hazmat suit involved somehow. Yeah. Because they were afraid I had, um, whichever type of meningitis is contagious. And so, yeah, I had the encephalitis and meningitis that went along with the West Nile and I was very sick. I was 10 weeks pregnant and the infectious disease doctor came in and he said, literally, he said, I don't deal with pregnant people. And we were like, well, (laughs) you're going to have to because (laughs) this is what it is, you know? So at the time things were going okay, but about the 12 week mark. So about two weeks later, it took me about a week to recover. As a matter of fact, I went back to that same infectious disease doctor and I said, okay, when can I go back to work? And he said, you are not the same person I saw in the hospital last week. And I sat there in his office and I said, that's the power of prayer because there's no other reason I should be this much better in this short amount of time. Mm. So So I did. I went back to work. And then at about the 12 week mark, we saw a specialist who told us that the baby wasn't developing as it should be. And so we knew pretty early on that it was probably not going to be a viable pregnancy, but for us, termination isn't an option. And so we did carry a son until 21 weeks. And then at that point, we um, welcomed him to heaven. So hard. Yeah. I just remember as our school, I remember everybody meeting in a classroom and we just circled up and joined hands and we prayed over you guys. I remember just the fear that kind of gripped all of us. And we knew at that point you'd had three other miscarriages at that point or two. And that was the third. And then I had one after that. Yeah. But I mean, there's no, there never has been any genetic reason why we couldn't have children. We, we had every test imaginable run. So going back to your question, the first time we talked about it, about adoption, it was really after that fourth miscarriage where I was like, gosh, my body's tired. My brain's tired. You know, maybe that's just the direction we're, we're being led. Mm. And so we had a couple of friends or he had a coaching buddy that had just fostered and was about to adopt, um, course we knew you guys had adopted and I grew up with a a girl in church who had been adopted so it had kind of been around my entire life probably more so than his but my college roommate they adopted their daughter so so it was there and it was in the back of my mind and I had worked with children and summer camps that came from it was at the time all church home now ACH and so I just said do you think we could explore this Mm. so how did you feel about that Donnie what were the misgivings that you had with all this process? 
including well, the miscarriages, all of that. What initially, you know, you don't want to see your wife hurt. You know, I mean that that uh, that's the the biggest takeaway for me. You know, as I you know after the third one, I was willing to explore other options. I, I hated seeing her have to go through it again. And then you know after the fourth one, it was a no brainer that we needed to explore another option. I wasn't really um, keen on the full adoption from the get-go. I wanted to explore fostering because I wanted to see if we were even fit ourselves to take care of kids because, you know, it's one thing to say you want to raise kids and it's another thing to do it. And she didn't want to do that. Carissa was very adamant on, I want 10 kids in the house right now. <laughs> right now. I was all in. I'll, I'll adopt. Well, I just remember you saying, you're like, we're going to be parents. Somehow, I mean, some way. Confident. From, mm-hmm. I, I just remember your confidence of that. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, just I'm sure, Donnie, to see this painful process was so difficult. I mean, I know yeah, just as a friend. Rational decision out of pain, you know, and that's where I felt like Carissa was coming from was she was so hurt that she just said, you know, I don't care. I just want a kid. And <laughs> so the conversation was a little difficult at first because we had two different views. She wanted to adopt whatever, whatever, how many right now. I wanted to talk about it and explore fostering to see if we could even take care of kids. If it was <laughs> something that was in our plans. And then the, the, the give and take was, well, what happens if you get attached to the kid and they have to go back to their family? Well, I was okay with that because I understand that's what fostering is. Foster not to adopt. You know, you foster to to reunify, you know, I mean, that's what you do. If you're going into fostering thinking that you want that kid and you're going to adopt them, that's, that's not the right mindset, like in my opinion. So I was okay with that. Now I say that, but then having gone through it and then once yeah. you foster, it takes a toll on you about after three to four weeks, you know, then it's like, you feel like the child is your child, you know, and you, you don't, want to give up hope at that point and so and you want to do it well you find out about yourself you're like oh I think I'm all in here I didn't know I was going to do that so there was some some of those conversations that were kind of tough going through with it but ultimately we had to talk we had to have some hard conversations as a family and we had to be united going into it to make sure it was going to work so that's really important as a couple just to be like we're stepping in here together and we feel like this is the direction we need to go. So did you start with foster? Yeah. So that was the initial, we were fostering Sienna and that's kind of how it all started. Wow. And how old was she at the time? 13 months. So we got a call and, and you know, the, the hectic first week of school, um, I got a call on the third day of school oh my gosh. at four o'clock at dismissal. And he's still in practice because we dismissed a little bit early. So I run down to the gym and say, hey, I think this might be the one. She's 13 months old. Her name is Sienna. What do you think? Now we're in the same school at the time, right? Yes. Yes. We're in the same high school. And so he just kind of said, okay, because we had said, I think a couple days earlier or a week earlier, we had said yes to a two-year-old. And somebody had already, I guess, said yes before our agency got back. And so that was kind of a letdown, too, is we finally agreed. And then, oh, man, we weren't chosen, you know. (laughs) So then we got the call about Sienna. And, yeah, I ran down there. I said, I I think this is it. And she was there at 9 o'clock that night and has been here ever since. Oh, cute. It was cute because... As I was filling out the paperwork and she came, she didn't come with a whole lot. He went to Target and he had to have spent a hundred or more dollars on outfits and toys. And (laughs) he got in there and he's like, woo, go crazy. Wow. It was just just heartbreaking to see how she dropped off to us. You don't ever want to see a kid in that situation. You know, I mean, she she had blisters on her feet because her shoes didn't fit. And they crammed her feet in there. She had like one pair of jeans. Everything smelled horrible, like things that they shouldn't have smelled like in poor little kid to be around. It was really disheartening. So the first thing that I could think of is let Carissa nurture her right there in the house and let me run and just get whatever I can get. And so I took um, one of my coaching friend's wife 
<laughs> they're really big into the adoption. In fact, one of their, she was a CASA worker, so she's had some experience. And so I called her. I was like, can I come pick you up? I need some help. Stopping y'all, please. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went and picked her up and we went to Target and made a late night run and oh. just got everything that we could think of just to make Sienna feel comfortable because mm-hmm. you could just tell that she wasn't comfortable. Even though at 13 months, you know, can't even really talk or express anything. You could just see she just wasn't comfortable. There's no telling how long she had been like that. And so that was my immediate thought was to run and get whatever I could. Soft and warm and cozy. Yeah, yeah. Just anything we could to make her comfortable for however long we were going to have her, whether that was 10 hours or two weeks. And we found out later she was a legal risk placement, which normally those do not end up in adoption. So just a lot of things where God like just worked out to the minute, to the hour for us to even still be able to have her in our lives. Wow. So how long was your process then with her before she was fully adopted? Well, it would have been fairly quick, but she had a parent who was incarcerated and got out and was given the opportunity to go through visits and things like that, even though there hadn't been a lot of interaction prior to that. Mm. So all that to say, she arrived in August and then it was the next May, her birth mom relinquished her rights. We think probably because she was pregnant with Haven and we made an agreement to send pictures and letters every quarter until Sienna was 18, assuming they corresponded with us as well. If at any point a year had lapsed and they had not corresponded, then that agreement was null and void. And at this time, that agreement is null and void. Well, part of the agreement was, and the reason why it was null and void is, I purchased a P.O. box for them. They lived within a block away from the P.O. box, and they never checked their box. They never, well, they did because they would post pictures that that we took, and they would crop us out and say that they were doing these things with Sienna. Like, oh, look, this is us at the zoo. And I was like, wait a minute, that's us with her at the zoo. Like, you just took us out of the picture that we sent you. So we knew they were checking the mail, and we knew that they were receiving our letters and everything. And that's what was so upsetting about it is they were basically in turn taking our compassion and our things that we were doing and showing everybody that they were doing it when they weren't, you know? Well, and I, I do also want to make note that they were very young and they were both products of the system themselves. And so had we not even been in this situation, those are the types of students that we would have mentored wow. in high school. And so not to excuse any of it because you, you can always make your own choices, but. Well, so after the year of paying for the PO box, that's when the lawyer, you know, we came in and said, look, there's no correspondence that became one of my big frustrations in the adoption process uh, coupled in with the fact that they were willingly trying to give her to people that were incompetent and not fit my initial excitement about the adoption process was continuing to be spoiled throughout the process, if that makes any sense. Right. Well, I guess reunification is always the, the goal. Yes. And, and terrifying when it's you're so involved yeah and and i agree with the reunification part as long as it's reunification with a purpose right with a vision reunification just to reunify is not Mm. i'm not for that and that was the whole fostering process that chris and i talked about before we we understood that it was about reunifying and we were 125 percent with reunifying sienna with any family member but that was capable yeah, and so that's that's what I started to say is we got her in an, in August. It was the next May that birth mom relinquished. Then in June, we were sure at court there was going to be an extension of the case, even though we had pretty much hit that year mark that they talk about. Yeah. But just prior to our hearing, her birth father disappeared. But. We were able to adopt her on National Adoption Day in November, and it was awesome. Oh, well, so how many years ago was that? Let's see. 
So she's yeah, it was 2015. Okay. So yeah, almost six years. We hit our five-year mark in November. Have so. you guys had any of these? I mean, they're still little, but they're old enough to know. I mean, have you talked to them about their adoption story at all? Yes, actually. They've always known they're adopted. We celebrate their gotcha days. Of course, with Haven, because she was older when we adopted her, she was two and a half. Sienna knew, like, here comes the sister moving into our house. So so that kind of made adoption a little more real to her. But actually, I was on my way to Lowe to Aaron Hammond's baby shower. Sienna was with me. She was three years old, and she's sitting in the back seat. And she said, Mom, was I born in your tummy? Three years old. And I said, no. No, you weren't. And and so I thought that would be where it where it would end. But what I wasn't expecting is she said, Well, what was her name? And I was like, Oh. <laughs> so I told her and then she said, No, I was born in your tummy. And so, you know, at that point I just let it lie. But um every once in a while they'll bring stuff up. I know when she was in kindergarten, she thought it was cool to tell everybody that she wasn't born in her mommy's tummy and thought it was funny when her friends didn't believe her. <laughs> so I worked in the same school, so her friends would come up and ask and is it true? Yeah, it's true. And then I would text their moms, be like, Hey, I want to let you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, we had this conversation. The story is cycling around. So it's true. Yeah. But even yesterday they were asking questions and Donnie said something about them both having the same birth mom. And Sienna said, what? And we, we've had this conversation, but she said, what? I just thought y'all wanted her to be my sister. <laughs> and we said, oh. no. You guys are sisters. And what's crazy too is everybody thinks they look exactly like us. Yeah. So like Oh yeah, they really favor both of you. Haven's his mini me down to the eyes and (laughs) Sienna's mine down to the eyes. It's the strangest thing. Basketball training today, we met a new couple and the mom said, Oh wow, your daughter has your exact same eyes. (laughs) And I said, Yeah, so what's crazy is look at mom and I showed him a picture of Chris and she goes, She has Sienna's eyes. And I said, yeah, so they both have our same eyes. And oh. and so, you know, it, it was it's almost like one of those situations to where if you don't have to explain it, you don't have to explain it. You know, it looks naturally like God's will. And if we have to explain it, we have to explain it. But our kids are always going to know and they're always going to have the opportunity to know because it's not fair to them. It's part of their story. However, I'm not going to lie to my two kids about what they had to go through. Just like I don't want to lie to people about what I had to go through growing up. When people ask me about my parents when I was growing up, I don't lie to them about what happened when I was growing up because it made me who I am today. And I'm proud of that. But I don't feel like I'm going to be able to sugarcoat it with them. And I don't want to. And obviously, that's not a conversation we'll have with them till they're older. But the only thing we do say is they didn't know how to take care of you. That's the extent of our conversations about that right now, because Sienna specifically asked when we told her about Haven, well, aren't her parents going to be sad because she was coming to live with us, which was a very valid question for a almost five-year-old. And so, so that's just kind of where we've left it is they didn't know how, you know, of course we have all their records and when they're emotionally old enough to deal with all that, then we can go down that road. I have not even looked through their book. I started to, and it was so difficult that I had to shut them and put them up. I feel like that's one of the things as adoptive parents that we do in a lot of ways is we're like, I'm taking this on because somebody wasn't there to protect you then. Oh yeah. I'm protecting you now. Adoption to me brings out this protective nature that is on fire for our kids because we come to them as their advocates. Yeah. And I tell you, like, I tried really hard to be patient and understanding when I was reading through that. I mean, the book's probably like this big. I mean, it's unbelievable. And all that stuff, it just, it became to where I just couldn't excuse it. Because those are your baby girls. They're your... Yeah, like, I can excuse some of it. I really can because a product of your surroundings. But I also know that some of that was intentional and neglect. One of the things that is so difficult to understand, and especially as a teacher, because we love kids, we're in our profession because we care about children. And we've seen the products of these hard places that some of these kids go through. And for you to be that close and watching this, your baby girl who is so heartbroken every time it, but that's why God's placed them in your family is because 
they're your baby girls now and no one better mess with them. I mean, I, 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 I feel your frustration, I'm sure. And also just the protectiveness that is so precious. Is there something that surprised you guys with this? I mean, I know you kind of like, oh, how's this going to go? We're going to adopt and we're going to foster. We're going to take these kids in that we did not birth. Is there something that has surprised you? The lack of concern from people that have the ability to make decisions over these kids. Mm-hmm. Now, did we meet some great people like D? D's, I mean, I, we met some amazing people that work in the system. Mm-hmm. No question. I mean, like D, I mean, that woman did more for Sienna and us than, I mean, humanly possible. Like, there were some amazing people that we met through the process that are definitely huge advocates for this system and that need to be a part of the system. But I I was surprised by some of that. I've been surprised too with about how many people have been adopted or have been touched by adoption themselves. And the older our kids get and the more our story gets out and then we hear about other people's stories or, you know, I was picking up a dresser for Sienna's room when we got her and the lady, I told her what it was for and she said, oh my gosh, I was in foster care and I was adopted. And so it's been some really cool stories like that that have just been, I mean, again, it total God moments because even going back to our miscarriages and all the pain that we felt with those, like had those not happened to the minute, to the second, to the hour that they did, we wouldn't have these girls. And yeah. I mean, even though, of course, we were sad and we mourned our losses, the whole time I still, I, I can't explain it. I felt peace. Like I knew just like you said, I said, I told people we're going to be parents. Mm-hmm. So, and we are, you know, however that was going to happen. I, I just, I felt it, whether that was uh, having biological kids or, or having our girls. All but- the right timing because those girls were meant to be in your family at that time. So it all had to work that way. And you might not have, like I said, be open to adoption. Have you been amazed at how, much love you feel for these girls do you did you expect that with adoption I mean was there like this little bit of how am I gonna feel about girls that are not biologically my children not so much for me I just I think part of I don't know the female heart is like you said and being educators we take everybody in they're all ours we have a heart for all of them I mean those are definitely conversations that we had like will we feel different what will that be like? All those conversations that we had prior to fostering. I, I remember sitting in our first meeting and the lady said, how many of you like wanted to do this? This was your idea. And I kid you not, every female in the room raised their hand and every male sat there. And they were like, this is very <laughs> typical. <laughs> but I've, but part I've of literally, I've done, I don't know, 35 interviews or something. I think I've had two men that it was their idea. Everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think that's pretty, it seems to be pretty common, but obviously I, I mean, he says it took three or four weeks. I think the minute that door opened and Sienna smiled at him and <laughs> I think it was all over, but with Haven, even though we knew about her, they called me as I was which actually let's go back to that because Donnie felt like they exploited me and my pain and feelings. No question. Um, There's no, I think about it. They did. So they would call me hoping I would say yes. And I would get upset with him. So it was causing issues there in our marriage. So he finally called and said, no more. Like you're messing with her. You're messing with her head. (laughs) You know, I finally called them and I said, do not ever call my wife again because you are causing marital problems intentionally. Like, you know yeah, that we don't- we have to be together on this. Well, and so so going back to Haven, uh, we were moving here to Leander and house is packed, Donnie's already here and they call me. Oh, by the way, Sienna's sister has been removed from the home. Are you willing to take her? Mm. So I call him and let him know and, he called them and wanted, wanted to know some more information. Well, they told us it probably wasn't going to be permanent. There was a different biological father involved who had more family. So they were like, it's probably going to be temporary. And 
our first question was, is she safe? Is she in a good place? Is she safe? And they said, yes, she's safe. And so at that point, as hard as it was, and we had to have some difficult conversations around that as well, because our we had closed our home. Like we, we adopted Sienna. We thought this is great. We're happy. She's happy. We're done. And so we, at that point we said not no, but not now call us when it becomes more permanent, mm. if it becomes more permanent. Yeah. So that was in May. They call us in October. It was on Halloween and said, okay, it looks like it's going to be permanent. And so again, we had to have those conversations and we said, does it look like it's going to be permanent or is it permanent? It took until well, it was almost April done. or May yeah, they, before they, it was finalized. Well, they didn't call us or nothing for a while. Oh, Carissa, were you just dying during this time? I mean, you're thinking, because did you feel like this is, this is my little girl? Yes. I mean, I, I could just feel that from you. You're like, yeah, it's so yes. hard to be patient. Chris got mad at me and feeling like I ruined it for everybody because I didn't agree to bring Haven in right now. Not ruin it, but yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't but, feel like you not, ruined it, but I don't like being told no. <laughs> you know, like, like she, she didn't like you knew yeah and what i was trying to get her to understand is i didn't want to put her and sienna through this kind of pain i didn't want to do that and Carissa couldn't see that Uh, i disagree it's not that i couldn't see it it's that i didn't want want to accept it it. there you go she she didn't want to accept it she saw it and she knew it because obviously with her mother's motherly instincts and her being as smart as she is she understood that but she didn't want to accept it I feel like guys can sometimes step back from situations though. And that's why I love a good partnership in marriage because sometimes Stan, I mean, he usually lets me kind of, you know, like, fine, go ahead. But there are certain things that he will just dig in. And when he does, it's usually pretty smart to do because I can't see it. I'm well, like, totally. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I see it now. I did not want to see it then. I didn't want to accept it. And, you know, I can even remember you coming back and saying, Stan said, don't want to, you, you're not going to come back and want to adopt a kid. And you're like, well, I told him finally. And I told him I didn't want what I wanted to. Like, I totally remember that about your story. <laughs> and so, but, but yeah, I, mean, I am thankful that even prior to getting Sienna that he said no when, when we, we needed to say no, but I couldn't see that in the moment. With Haven coming in, do you feel like that timing was better than maybe earlier or, you know, as far as waiting till things were really pretty finalized? I think based on things that she had to experience, it would have been better earlier for her to have been removed from those kinds of things just for her personally. For us, I think it was fine that we, you know, we got to establish our family with Sienna and she got that individualized attention that she didn't necessarily have prior to that. Mm. So, I mean, overall, I think the timing was okay. It's been a little, not a little, it's been a big adjustment for Sienna just because she did get that attention. And then here comes this walking, talking two and a half year old that has had some, some difficult experiences. (laughs) So so it's been an adjustment and we're still adjusting three years later. So, I, I mean, for Haven's sake, earlier would have been better, but I think just like everything else, the timing has worked out like it's supposed to. We're, we're here, we're established because we moved to Leander and it's the cost of living here is a lot more than it is in South Fort Worth Crowley. So we moved here with one car payment, one child and now we have two car payments and two children. So <laughs> we needed that adjustment period. Sure. So what advice would you give someone who's just getting started on this process? Communicate a lot. Be willing to accept no. (laughs) Be on the same page. You know, it's just hard. And even as hard as our case was, it really was easy compared to other cases. And so. Well, like Chris said, communication has to be first and foremost. And honesty and willing to accept no because they're going to put you through. I mean, they ask you questions about sex, age, ethnicity, all those things. And if you haven't had those conversations before and you don't agree on some of those things, yeah. it, it could get 
uncomfortable in front of the people that it doesn't need to be uncomfortable with. And I think that that has to be established first and foremost. Okay, hey, yeah, we'd like to adopt. Okay, that, that's good. That's the first step. Now, let's you and your wife or you and your husband sit down and talk about exactly what adoption looks like. Mm-hmm. Talk about what it is you're willing to do, what it is you're willing to provide. Can you provide for all that? Like, it's such an enormous responsibility like this. A small, what may seem like insignificant detail could be a huge breaking point. Oh, yeah. Some people I interviewed um, a few weeks ago, the Muir's, Karen, Micah, they said, prepare for the spiritual battle. So, Donnie, I hope this is okay, but you kind of alluded to the fact that when you were growing up, that you and your brother got really close and you kind of almost raised yourselves in some ways. How do you feel like your background in some hard places helped you now with your girls as girls who have had trauma in their background as well? Do you feel like that has helped you parent them? I think it's made me more empathetic for sure and trying to understand the situation where they come from because a lot of times we're quick to try to correct kids or try to feel like we know the answers how to discipline and how to correct kids and the behavior and what needs to be taken to fix that, so to speak. And sometimes there's so much trauma that we don't really know about that may lead to the kid doing those kind of things or, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they need any major treatment as much as they just need nourishment and love and, you know, an opportunity. And so part of my problem is when I was growing up, I didn't my parents weren't as involved due to circumstances and their own personal choices. And so as far as me going to school and doing things in school that probably weren't productive at times, I was not really afraid of the consequences that would happen at home because there was no real structure at home. Mm. Medicating kids is a popular thing nowadays. You know, everybody wants to pop them full of pills when they're young and say that they got ADHD or ADD or, you know, or all that stuff. And, I'm thankful that nobody did that to me when I was younger because I acted up a few times. Mm-hmm. But I acted up out of anger with situations and things that have happened to me. And so I'm glad that nobody chose to go down that route. Now, am I saying that that route can be effective? Yeah, it can be effective, sure. I mean, some kids need that, but not all kids need that. And I think it's important for us to understand. And I think that's where it helps me. And maybe sometimes it hurts me, though. Because maybe sometimes I am excusing behaviors that should be corrected by now. The concept of push-pull as parenting, it really is. Well, and do you feel like maybe some things have come to the surface in your own past that you're like, oh, maybe that's why I did that as you're watching your girls? I certainly think that's the reason why I didn't want to, you know, like I said, initially, there's that when when you go into fostering, uh, it's about reunification and that's the primary purpose. But after about, you know, several months with Sienna, the first one, I think what angered me so much was the idea that the state was willing to give her back to a situation that I experienced when I was growing up. Feels like, Mm. you know, I know what that feels like. So I I think it just angered me a lot at that point. Like, I can't believe you're going to put this kid back in the situation. And so I think that's where I became really defensive. And almost like, okay, no, we're going to fight for Sienna. Yeah, and I think that it's because it kind of opened up some areas of my life that I I felt, because I wanted things different when I was growing up, and I didn't have control over that. And I didn't have anybody advocating for me for control over that. And in this situation, we have advocates for them. We were. And adopting it forward, you're kind of doing that. Not that you were adopted, but you are changing these kids' whole complete path, the path of, you know, from their past and family. My best, my best friend's parents pretty much helped raise me mm. growing up. So I wasn't per se adopted or, or, or anything like that because I did always have a roof, you know, and I always had um, clothes. Now it's somewhat embarrassing when I look back on my school pictures in my first grade shirt is the same as my second grade shirt. My second grade shirt is the same as my third grade school shirt. You know, some of that stuff's a little embarrassing, but 
at the same time, that's who I am. I'm very thankful for having my best friend's parents to advocate for me when I was growing up. It's not that my mom didn't want to, my mom didn't really know how. Sure. Well, I also wanted to ask, as I'm thinking of this too, like, Carissa, now you're teaching adaptive PE. You've got little kids, right? How has having these adopted children, how has that affected your teaching? Do you feel like it's made you more sensitive with the kids that you have at school? Well, I mean, I think absolutely. You know, anytime you parent kids from trauma, you know, your eyes are open to how that can present. Now, that's not to say all of my students who are in adaptive PE obviously have experienced trauma, but we, you know, I do have some students who have been in very similar situations to my own children and who may not have been adopted or, you know, may have even been in worse trauma. And that has affected them in a way that now I do see them. And, uh, you know, just, it makes me compassionate. It breaks my heart, especially if, like he said, if somebody wasn't able to advocate for them in time or at all, but it's also really created a community for me. I know teachers within the district who have been in similar situations as far as adopting or fostering. And some of that has just, you know, I got on the local fostering Facebook group and I was like, oh, I recognize that name from this school. And then, you know, and then we've been able to have these conversations, whereas because I'm so in and out of schools, because I serve eight campuses and I may not have known these teachers because I go in do my adaptive PE class and get out, I can actually approach them and say, hey, we've got similar backgrounds and some of them are just now going through the process. So it's allowed me to work with them and kind of give them some pointers because we've been through it twice and in two different situations, you know, a one-year-old and a two and a half-year-old. And just that year and a half makes a huge difference when it comes to trauma and neglect. Mm. So Donnie, you're a girl's coach. How do you feel like, (laughs) how do you feel being a girl dad has changed maybe your coaching a bit? Do you feel like you look at these girls in a different light now that you're a daddy of girls? <laughs> well, do you think it's helped you as a coach? <laughs> I don't know because I coached yeah. the girls like I didn't the guys when I coached. You know, like I haven't really changed who I am as a coach. It definitely makes me more aware of how I portray or put myself out there. Like, in other words, before kids, I was pretty loud and obnoxious on the sidelines. Like kind of, you know, let referees have it and <laughs> a little bit out there as far as my passion and sometimes take it to an extreme, not throw chairs or anything like that, like Bobby <laughs> Knight style. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that with having my two girls, I've kind of, in the back of my mind, it's always been there like, okay, you can fight for your girls on a bad call, but you can't act like an idiot. <laughs> you know, like you, you have two little girls that are watching, you know, that. Yeah. You know, you got to make a good example for it and not look like, you know, a spoiled little brat. He said a couple times that he wants to treat his athletes like he would want somebody to treat his own daughters, mm-hmm. whether or not he gets to coach them long term. I mean, obviously, we would love for that to happen. But in the event it didn't, he wants to treat his athletes like he would want somebody yeah, to treat I mean, our right. I mean, That's what every obviously. parent wants to hear, I feel like. And then, Adding to that, and that's the reason why it's so important for me, and I try to make this a priority, is to allow my girls to be around our kids as much as possible. You know, I mean, they rode the bus home from just about every playoff game, you know. Um, They hopped on the charter bus and rode it home with our girls, you know. So they were in the locker room, they were in the state championship picture on the floor, you know. The idea is that you hope that your athletes are a reflection of my own kids, like hopefully. Uh, and hopefully they they present themselves in an image that I'm comfortable with my own kids looking up to. Like mm. right now, Sienna adores one of my players, Megan Woods. Um, she's, a, <laughs> she's a basketball, volleyball girl, and she's a great kid. I mean, a super kid, just a kid that you would want your daughter, you know, to to model. So I'm very proud of that aspect. I'm glad that they're able to interact and have that kind of opportunity. It is. It's so special. The show's called Adopting It Forward. So how have you seen what God has done for us? I mean, he's rescued us. He's our advocate in court. You have been these girls' advocate. 
How have you seen that played out in your own just examples with the girls or with yourselves? How have you seen that played out? You know, I know I don't always outwardly speak about God and the things he's done for me, right? You know, we've been through this whole process. We've been through the miscarriages, through this fostering to adopt process. But I I know of several people who weren't necessarily believers who saw our process and he would say, gosh, I don't know how you went through this and how you're okay and how you can talk about this. And at that point, then I would say something like, a total God thing. Like I have no other way to explain it. And sometimes that's where the conversations would end. And still to this day, that's how some conversations end. But I just feel like that allowed us to just kind of say, Hey, you know, we are okay. We we've lived through this. We've been through this. God was faithful throughout the whole process. Even if we didn't see it right in the moment when I'm laying in a hospital bed, I mean, Donnie will tell you, they called in our pastor. And, and at that point he was like, Holy moly, like what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to go from that point where I'm literally on my deathbed to having these two beautiful girls, our story just kind of, it kind of speaks for itself. And, you know, it's not one that we just walk around and like, hey, these girls are adopted. But when we can tell it's a great time to share our story, then we absolutely love to share our story. And we love that they love sharing their story. Um, Oh, so sweet. I love that they're sisters too. I mean, what a great... You know, because that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does, but. Honestly, in a case like theirs, they probably don't know each other until they're 14 or 15, 16 years old. Had we not taken both of them? Yeah, had we not taken them both in, um, there's a good chance that they wouldn't know each other until they're 14, 15, 16 years old. Well, now they're going to the same school since kindergarten. And that. And they just have is. each other, you know, they're both in the same. I, I love that with our kids because it's special for them to have each other and to know what the each have been through. And just, to, mm-hmm. I mean, yours were really little, but still they. Well, and Sienna, each other. yeah, we had never told her about Haven. Obviously we didn't have any of these conversations and we were coming back from Fort Worth one day and she was sitting in the back seat. I remember the stop sign where I was sitting and she starts praying out loud. I've never heard her do that before or since. And she says, God, please send me a sister. Please, please, please give me a sister with us knowing this is all kind of in the works. I was like, and, and again, that's why I was like, okay, she's my kid. Haven's my kid. <laughs> you know? So uh, it's just, it's What's just information. When those two start really realizing everything that's happened and transpired, I think it'll grow them closer together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think part of my brother and I's relationship when we were younger was because we had to grow up within the parenting or the lack of parenting that we had. And I think it forced us to grow up together and it strengthened our bond for sure. And I think that'll happen with Sienna and Haven for sure. Because I see it a lot in them right now. They fight like me and my brother did. <laughs> I mean, they Aww. siblings, you know. It's like Carissa and Brett fought when they were younger. You know what I mean? They're siblings. <laughs> but I think what will happen is over time, you know, when they realize where their life has gone and how their past have mm. met up. When, right. And what God protects them from. I mean, we don't even know what God... Yeah, well, in reality, their past may not even have crossed. So... For it to all work out like that, I think it'll have the ability to strengthen their relationship. Yeah. That's what I'm excited about. I know. I love, that's really great. So this year has been crazy with the pandemic. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have noticed. I mean, yeah, you've gotten to wear a mask. I can't even like coaching basketball with a mask. What in the world? Because, you know, I know in the gym, I'm constantly, I'll say things to the kids and I'm like, they're like, what? And I'm like, what? You know, we can't understand each other. But <laughs> I mean, we've had this just weird school year. But my word for the year is hope. How have you guys seen hope through this weird pandemic COVID year we've lived? Well, okay. So back in August, we started in service and we sent our girls because they had been together like we all had from March till August. And we thought, okay, they need a break from each other. They can go see their grandparents. We've pretty much quarantined at our house. So we sent um, Haven to my mom's and Sienna's to my dad's. Well, by the end of the week, 
Sienna came home. Well, they both came home because we had heard there were symptoms within my dad's house. And turns out Sienna ended up having COVID. And so, you know, I, I just remember as her mom, like that night, that first night that I, that I knew she had it, one feeling the guilt of, oh man, we, we kind of let our guards down and let them out of our sight. But just laying there thinking and, and praying that and hoping <laughs> that everything was going to be okay. And, and thankfully she did have a very mild case and the three of us didn't get it either. But I would say even throughout COVID, they have been so resilient and just kind of like, is what it is. We wear a mask and if we wear a mask, we can go places and we go to school and the hope for his basketball season, even we didn't even know if it was going to happen. Right. Yeah. And the hard part for us is we knew the talent that he had that only comes around sometimes never in a coach's career, but we knew what we had and we prayed that we would get through the season, but that everybody first and foremost would be healthy. And thankfully they were, but. I mean, do you feel like we've appreciated things maybe a little bit more this year? The things that we took for granted. Family time, seeing other people. Donnie's definitely the more social butterfly of the two of us, but I've really noticed how much I actually crave just seeing other people like yeah. we, and not on a screen <laughs> when we, when we went back to school and I could see my students or I could see my coworkers, just, it just felt good. It felt good to see people and, you know, valuing the relationships with our families. I got to see some of my family this weekend. And even though, I don't know if you saw the picture, but my aunt's behind glass in a nursing home, but I still got to see her. I was this close to her. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yes. I know we did so many things that I'm like, have I ever done this in my life where yeah. like my car didn't go out of the garage for like four days? I was like, that's never happened. I can never remember that. Uh, <laughs> this was snowing. But. Thankfully, they just put in a new park in our neighborhood that has a lake and playground and Best. oh yeah, walking trail. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time outside. We the girls have bikes, scooters, hoverboards, you name it, they've got it now because we needed to do it all. <laughs> Let's go outside. <laughs> yes. That's really good. So what's something low key you make high key? Like not now, Donnie, not that you're superstitious or anything, but I'm wondering since you're a coach, did you, I know you're not a baseball coach. They're notorious. They don't like wash their hat and stuff like that. But do you have anything like low key that you make high key? that got you all the way to state? Did you do anything like that? <laughs> I did a few things this year that were different. I wore the same outfit pretty much, I guess, almost all the way through second half of district. Oh, yeah. All the way to the championship game. <laughs> and I very rarely washed my pants, which is embarrassing, but Basketball I you know, try to stick to uh, the pattern. <laughs> I had to wash my shirt because I sweat quite a bit. So um, <laughs> I wanted to smell that. No, same shirt though. Um, same face mask. Um, I washed that because I needed to. Um, <laughs> uh, I did wear the same black mask every single game. <laughs> so probably twenty games, maybe fifteen to twenty games. We're gonna go order those now because they're like, oh, uh, Michael Jordan. Air Jordan. And so I so that was something little. Watermelon um, Red Bull before the game. So yeah, I, so I, I really don't drink Red Bulls. I don't drink like Red Bulls or sodas. I just really don't. Well, my assistant coach, he always drinks Red Bull. And a couple of years ago, he's like, Man, you look like you're struggling. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm a little tired, you know, been a long night watching some more film. And so he's like, Well, man, y'all try Red Bull. And I was like, uh, ah. So, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago is when I tried one. And then so we've had this kind of game day tradition where he and I will have a Red Bull way, you know, before game time. So that was something, yeah, we stuck to this year. We ate Jason's Deli every away game this year. So and those were little things that we made big, like, because as the playoffs got on, you know, the parents were like, oh, let's eat here. You know, let's, let's spice it up. You know, we, we're in the <laughs> and, and I was like, no, like state championship, we're leaving for the state championship the morning of the game. And I was like, man, if there's any way we can do a little breakfast bar in Jason's Deli again. Like, <laughs> you know, outside of that, I don't, 
mine, I don't normally wear the same things to games, but as we got deeper in the playoffs and shirts started changing, it went from the district shirt to the final four. I was like, oh no, I'll buy the final four shirt, but I am wearing my hat, my green sweater. <laughs> I'm wearing a district shirt. I'll put it on after the game. Same thing with the state shirt. I'll buy one, but I'm not wearing it until it's all said and done. <laughs> when the girls wore their coaches' kids' shirts, okay. we, added, we, we took a picture every game day and tweeted it. Well, our third round game, we, we had to use a charter bus. First time that we had to use one at all this year. And lo and behold, the charter bus pulls up and this guy gets off the bus. It's the same guy that drove us last year to the McDonald's tournament that we played lights out at. Like, I mean, we played so good. <laughs> and it was weird. It was, it was kind of one of those spooky deals. And I was like, okay, well, that game, we played ridiculously good. So after the game, we're driving home on the bus, and my freshman coach says, hey, we need to get him again because we're going to have at least two more trips on a charter bus. And so we booked him, and he drove for us every game through the playoffs. Oh, my. <laughs> yes. So a little thing, but oh, yeah. for, girls, for girls, it was big because when they got on the bus, they knew the driver. Right. So they were comfortable. They knew they were going to get there. Fine, everything was yeah, good. Well, on the state championship game, he swears we won it because he bought the girls three dozen three dozen donuts. Three dozen donuts oh before the game. That's why they won. The girls and I, because we were traveling alone, obviously, to all the games. Our tradition, our low key to high key, was we would stop at Sonic because Sonic's always open after the games. Yes. And they'd be hungry at that point. We would have eaten at like five and it's now eight, nine, ten o'clock. So we go to Sonic and we get corn dogs and that's just just what we do. And so it's funny because I didn't realize what it meant to them until one time we didn't get to go and it was like it was the worst. But mom, just, this is our this is what we do. This is what I, we do I after do games. Feel like, yeah, and my kids like all those kind of things too. Like this is what we do when this happens. It's what we as I've gotten a little bit older, they're not as much, but you're like, those are big deals. And, you know, of course I raised a couple of gym rats, but especially my second daughter, Caitlin was my for sure gym rat. I mean, she loved every game. She liked to play every sport. She liked to be at all the games. And it's really fun to get to share that with those kids because they're totally into it. They know all the rules of the game. That yeah. was a foul. Mom, why did they call a foul? I mean, I just love raising gym rats it's fun yes. and that's sienna because i mean i'm a gym rat my dad's a coach right a coach. yes and so seeing that and sienna now haven is there for the social piece and she oh. wants to lay down on the bleachers popcorn candy you name it she's there but sienna especially this year i think really realized what a big season it was and she's one of those that doesn't want anybody to ever know she's crying in public like she will hide but she bawled after that state game. And it was the most precious thing to me because oh my gosh, it was, she was so into it. Yes, she was. My, my oh. principal took a video of it. And <laughs> so cute. I started crying right there at the end because she saw how big it was. And it, it was one of those things after the game, I, I got them each a medal. So I, I, I told the UIL, I'm going to tell her. Tell her what she said yesterday. <laughs> so, I, I, so I told the UIL, so we have a, a friend of mine who works for the UIL, and she asked me how many medals that we needed in the event we were to win, or even for that matter, lose, because you'd get silver. Sure. And so I requested a certain amount, knowing that I needed three more extra. So I had three more extra, and I decided to give one to Carissa and the two kids. So, you know, they got these these huge gold medals. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just rocking. Well, yesterday we're driving home from Dallas, and I'm on the phone with the uh, my assistant and the company that we're ordering the rings through. And and because we, we get our state championship rings that they're, they're making. And so I tell the my assistant, I was like, look, you know, I'm not handing these rings out. Like, it, needs to anybody. To, it, it just needs to be the people that were like, cause I know some. People like give it to their freshmen, their JV, like everybody. Like, I'm just not, I'm not that kind of person. Like, I'm going to give it to the people that were in the day to day trenches. And so I had 
gave me a list. I said, it's our 13 players, our four student assistants, our filmer, and our social media girl that takes all the pictures and travels to the games with us, and our two announcers. So as I'm saying that, I had wrapped it up by saying, hey, look, let's just simple as this. If they got a medal, they get a ring. They get a oh. ring. <laughs> That's pretty easy, right? Well, as soon as I hang up the phone, Sienna is in the back, and she goes, hey, Daddy. She said, I'm getting a ring. And I was like, well, <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, you know. So I talked to Chris about maybe doing like a pennant or something and get him a necklace. Cute. Yes. Oh my gosh. How fun. Well, I really appreciate you guys doing this. Is there anything that you would like to add to this or anything that you would, that you want to share? Well, thanks for, for having us on and letting us share our story. Um, I especially am an open book. So if anybody that hears this ever has any questions or or wants to talk or vent or whatever i am more than happy for you to share my information oh thank you i well i will then that would be great because i feel like these interviews have been great for so many people to just hear i'm not alone in this and everybody's process is so different yes so and there were even struggles within the process that we didn't even get to today, uh, such as like paying for daycare and, and how to go about navigating that process in the foster care system that I, again, would absolutely be happy to to talk to anybody or anybody that's even thinking about fostering or has more questions about our experience. I, I, I'm more than happy to. That daycare issue is something that Chris actually had to write our state senator about. And had she not wrote the state senator, we probably would still be paying for daycare. So Carissa is a, is a great resource in that. I can't thank you enough for having us on here. Uh, well, I was going to say, I also want to say, I did not know there were as many foster Facebook groups as there are until we started the process with Haven. I, I did get off of Facebook for quite a while with Sienna uh, when we first had her, but I would also encourage people to join those groups. Mm. There are people willing and ready to help with anything, clothing, we got a mattress from a group here when we got Haven. So just really kind of plug into those yes, those well, Facebook groups. Not trying to do things on your own, but always looking for other groups of people that are like-minded. And yeah, because it does, it takes a village. We're, we're blessed by that. So, well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really sure. appreciate it. It's been so fun to reconnect. I know. And so I'm good glad to you're a mom and dad now. I love, I mean, your girls just too cute. <laughs> they're, they're so fun. They're just, they're, they're the, the bright spots in our day for sure. Well, thank you guys. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Wow. I really appreciate Carissa and Donnie taking the time out of their busy schedule to share their story with us. When Donnie shared how his difficult childhood experiences make him especially protective of his little girls and the way these two have become advocates for their girls in a flawed system. It's so difficult to trust God's timing in the best of circumstances, but with all the tragedy and loss this couple experienced through four miscarriages and waiting through all the possible family members for these girls, my heart really went out to them. I always love how God works through the hard and shows us His timing is perfect. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. For those of us who are waiting for something with our kids, waiting to see them be kind like we hope they will be, waiting to have a court date, waiting for whatever we're waiting for with our kids, let's trust in God's timing in all things. So until next week, let's all keep adopting it forward. Thank you so much for listening. Can you do me a huge favor? If you're enjoying the adoption stories, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode which drops every Wednesday. It would also really help if you could leave a positive review. Five stars if you've got them. Do you or someone you know have an adoption story to tell? 
please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or through our website at largeentrywilliams.org. You can also find our show notes there. Today's show was edited by Will Rice. The whole thing was put together by my favorite guy, Stan. The website, largeentrywilliams.org, is managed by Leslie Serrano. Unconditional love and occasional mischief provided by Golden Doodles, Gus, and Coach. Thanks again for listening. Let's encourage each other as we are adopting it forward. 